This is Studio Talk with JTech. Hey everybody, it's Jimbo JTech coming to you live from my Berlin studio with episode one of my shiny new talk show podcast, Studio Talk with JTech. This idea, this concept has been in the works for a little while. This show is going to serve as a way for me to basically have cool conversations with people uh, around me in the dance music world and in the electronic music industry, such as uh, record label owners, fellow producers, DJs, things like that. It's a much more informal affair than my music podcast. The overall flow of the conversation is going to be much more au naturel than you've heard in my very quite overproduced radio shows in the past. So please do bear with me as I get the hang of this and learn the ropes. It's all very new for me, uh, but it's very exciting as well. The first guest on Studio Talk is none other than the magnificent Australian progressive house extraordinaire Luke Schabel, who hails from Melbourne and currently lives there. He and I have a very similar background. We sort of cut our teeth in the Australian scene at around the same time. Our paths went in, in different directions when I relocated to the UK and basically started my journey on the crazy above and beyond roller coaster. Since initially breaking out onto the scene, we've both kind of rebuilt our careers lately to have a much more DIY, kind of self-employed kind of focus and being being the masters of our own musical empires and building our own little corner of the internet and inviting people to come party with us. And for that reason, I thought it was a great idea to get him on the show as the first guest. We had a great time, me sitting here in the studio and him uh, at, at his folks' place in uh, just outside of Melbourne in Australia. I hope you find it informative and interesting, and uh, we've, of course we would love to hear any feedback about what you thought about the show and any ideas for how we could make it cooler in the future. So without further ado, please enjoy the 60-minute chat between myself and Luke Shabby. Studio Talk with JTech. Um, so I guess, yeah, I've never really sort of begun a talk show before, so I guess we'll just dive right into it. <laughs> so we're live here in the Berlin uh, Studio Fortress of Doom. I'm JTech, your friendly host, and today uh, on the show we have my very first guest, Luke Schabel from Australia. I chose Luke as the first guest for this show because I feel like we come from pretty similar backgrounds. We sort of both started in the Australian scene around the same time back at the turn of the century, and uh, we've both had a background in sort of progressive house music that aims to be a little, have a little more depth of intelligence and be a little more forward thinking. It's great to have you on the show, dude. How are you doing? Thanks, man. It's uh, really good to be uh, with you, actually, and I'm honoured to to be on your first show. It's it's pretty exciting for me. I've basically started doing this because I just feel like I'm not having enough of a connection to the music world on the internet. I know that sounds weird because like that's all we ever do nowadays is connect with people <laughs> on the internet. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, like I, I post like pictures on Facebook of like, hey, everybody, this is like a picture of me doing stuff. And, you know, and I, I try and give people like as much of an insight into, um, you know, like the process and, you know, what it's like to be a, a, like a superstar DJ or like whatever. But like, I feel like people don't have like enough of a, of a picture of like what's actually happening in our kind of lives and, and, and what it's actually like. I mean, I think for most music producers, it's actually like a lot of the time we don't really have that much to report, you know, like we're actually sort of. <laughs> in the studio for like two or three weeks at a time and and just just you know it's like you can't really go on facebook and be like hey everybody like i've been like chipping away at this little vocal sample for like the entire day how cool is that <laughs> you know like it's um so we're always sort of projecting this like this we, we try to give people the highlights and stuff and um i feel like especially in the world of like underground dance music and progressive house and stuff like that i feel like it could be a really cool thing to 
give people a bit more of an insight into the minds of the people who are doing the cool music. And um, I, I feel like it'll sort of, it'll help me get to know people a bit better uh, who are doing the same kind of stuff as I am. And um, yeah, I just feel like it could be a really good thing all around. So yeah, like I just wanted to sort of um, go over your, your, your history a little bit, because I do feel like, you know, you are a sort of, to me, you're one of the standout names of underground electronic music in general, anywhere in the world from sort of around the time that I got started. You were certainly a very big inspiration for me in terms of the, uh, the tracks that you're putting out and um, the kind of picture you were painting with your music, you know, and I have some very good memories of, you know, listening to your new tracks with my friends, you know, in people on people's cars, stereos. I remember uh, when you and Danny Benici released Ride, I saw uh, James Holden play at Gas in Sydney and I, I saw him drop that track like pretty much just after it had come out and watching the whole place go absolutely bananas um so yeah so it's really cool to have you on the show today i also feel like you've um you've had a bit of a kind of luke shovel renaissance recently it feels like in the last little while you've sort of hit onto a kind of new kind of sound which is still undeniably you it's still it's it's definitely got your kind of signature sound to the core but it's also taken it in like a little bit of a different direction so um just sort of interested to know how you how you sort of came across upon this new sound and and what kind of what kind of revelations you had to lead you to that kind of new sound yeah well basically well first of all thank you so much for your kind words it's it's always awesome to hear that kind of thing and you know i even uh the guys that you work with the the above and beyond boys they were telling me how they loved all my music and i'm always shocked and i saw armin do the same thing and he Goes, dude, I'm one of your biggest fans. Like, love your stuff. I've always loved your stuff since back then, and I'm always shocked. I don't realize. Um, so it's really nice to hear that. So thanks for that. Um, but as far as where I am now, I think the story has to go back to 2005, and I was having a bit of trouble being me. And it's not that I was having. It was easy to be me, but that's the problem. It was too easy to do Luke Sharbel. And I was getting sort of sick of being, you know, people would ask for a remix and go, do that Luke Sharble thing. And I'm like, well, I don't want to. I want to grow. I want to do new stuff. And if you look over my records from day one, they they sort of all go to breaks and then progressive house and then progressive trance and then progressive house breaks trance and, you know, all sort of all over the shop. But at that point in time was when I started touring the world. And I think I actually saw you around that time overseas in Argentina. Oh, that's right. But, yeah, yeah. At uh, at Pacha in Buenos Aires. Yeah. Yeah, so so that was happening and I felt a lot of pressure to be someone where I didn't like I don't think I was really ready to to do that and um I also felt like as ridiculous as this sounds, I had a lot of, you know, people love your records, but I didn't have support in a different way um from a kind of mentor. And I was really hoping that someone would sort of help mentor me because I was pretty young. I was only like, well, young for those days. Like it's easy to get into music at a younger age these days. But I mean, I started when I was nine and got professional when I was 17. But by the time I was touring, I was 24 and it was all just like, what is going on? And I really sort of felt like I was trying to find my feet. And then what happened is, is vinyl died really quickly because MP3 came in. And, and CDs, of course, and Electro came in with such a force, like Progressive House just became a dirty word really quickly. 
And that was really, and at the same time, my friend uh, who actually signed my first record with him, Ivan Goff, he put out a hit record in Australia and I'm sitting there in, in Amsterdam thinking, why am I making Progressive House again? Like, I, I just, it was kind of a fork in the road. And it wasn't about the money, but it was more about, I actually couldn't put a, a pin exactly where it was, but I just felt a little bit lost then. So I took a kind of hiatus. I did a tour with Global Underground the year after that, or the year after that, I'm not sure, because the Low Step album came out in 2006, I think. Yep. Um, in 2007, I think Phil and I toured that in various locations all around the States and then and other places. And after that, I was just like, wow, you know, because it wasn't... It, it, because Progressive House and Breaks and stuff had taken such a dive that the crowds weren't so big anymore and it was just kind of, you know, it's a kick in the gut sort of thing. Why am I going, you know, breaking my back to, to go around to these shows? It just doesn't feel like you're getting anything back. And sometimes you have an awesome show and you, you get heaps back. And so after that, I just kind of just stepped aside and said, look, I just need to stop. I actually broke up with my touring agencies and management because I just said, look, I just need to get out of here for a bit, I, you know. Um, then I started messing around with some music and then I, I sort of fell into writing for, for TV Rock um, as a ghostwriter. Okay. And that was my first ghostwriting stuff. I did a lot of remixes for them and a lot of other work. I put a single out with them, which was a commercial half sort of success in Australia. It was all over the radio here. And I thought, oh, maybe this is something I can do. And Ivan was really wanting me to work with him again and getting into more the big room stuff. And I did do some of that stuff. But I was feeling like the big room stuff was getting noisier and noisier and harsher and harsher. And I felt like, hold on a second, this isn't even big room. This is just trance with a snare on and a clap on every beat. <laughs> yeah. And and then it got to the point where it was getting noisier and noisier, like like harsh. And I was like, I don't I don't like this anymore. You know, I just didn't like it. And I, I went home and I just started working on new sounds and just I really just that was when I actually came up with a, with three or four records over a weekend. I was house-sitting for my dad or something. And I came up with this kind of new sound, which could be described as kind of pridzy, but, um, but with my sort of touch. And I just sort of kept pushing that. And, and I just ended up saying, look, I don't want to do the big room anymore. I kind of want to do this. And I was really pushing. I, had, I got so many records, demos and, and finished records up that I – I basically had an album's worth of records and I got really close to getting on prior to friends and then that folded and so that didn't happen. So we had an album's worth of stuff. So that was signed and then it's the album is probably not coming out at this stage um, because, you know, there were so many records and we felt we put a few singles out that you know, the first, the EP on Zero Three went well um, and the second single, which was, for me, it was far too long after that. It um, sort of went under the radar and I thought, oh, if that's not a good reason to hold back the album, I don't know what is. So I just kept <laughs> working on records and, and you know, there, uh, recently there's, there's stuff that, with, this is a frustrating thing about the music industry. I've done a remix, like I reckon it's nine months ago now and it's big and it's still not out and it's still not going to be out for another couple of months at least. Yeah. And, it's, it's and I, like, I do find like, I, I do find tracks have a certain half life, and uh, the longer it takes for it to come out, the the less relevance it has to you as the exactly. person that you currently are. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and I yeah. Go on. Sorry. I, I was just gonna say I find I find with me, if you talk about a whole sound, I find I actually 
I go like three or four tracks at a time in a sound or two tracks in a time and there'll be brother and sister tracks and you'll, you'll hear that that's where I was at at that point and then I move on from that. It's like an ebb and flow. And, and yeah, I mean, that track, that remix is big but it's nothing like what's coming. It's, it's a completely different sound, you know, and even at the relevance to the current scene is, is dwindling, you know. Yeah. So, um, well, one th- one thing I would firstly say is is don't worry too much about like a particular single release going under the radar because it's to me that's kind of like doing a Facebook post that has like a thousand likes and then you do like another one that has like three likes and you're like oh whoops like <laughs> perhaps I shouldn't have posted that mm. but at the end of the day it's like you know I think Eric Prids actually was the one who said like sometimes I do tracks that reach millions and other times it's like hundreds I think what is more important is the overall picture that you're you're presenting to people and I think anybody who is a really like a true follower of your kind of sound is going to be more interested in all the different kinds of tracks that you're releasing rather than like yeah, one particular yeah. one that, that, you know, takes the world by storm. And I think it's also, you know, I, I think it's also okay to have a record that you work really hard on and you think is going to be a success. And then it doesn't turn out to be the success that you thought it was going to be. You know, I don't think that's such a crime, yep. um, but it's, it's a terrifying thing, you know, or it's a terrifying, it, it, it's a horrible feeling to put, to put something on the internet and have like a chunk of your fan base react badly to it, you know? Um, for me, yeah. Like I also find for for our kind of music, um, we almost kind of paint ourselves into a corner a little bit because our sound is defined by almost defined by shunning the commercial sounds and the pop sounds. But for for me, as a as a record producer, I actually really enjoy making that kind of stuff. Like I write tons and tons of poppy stuff that I don't release, and with my single releases, I do actually occasionally just throw something a little more poppy out there, like on the poppier end of the spectrum. And sometimes people like. Usually it's like split down the middle. Like some people are like, yes, I love that you did this. And then other people are like, I'm mortally offended that you did this. Um, you know, you're dead to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that that actually happened to me recently. And I and I was really kind of hurt by that, you know, and I usually wouldn't be. Back in the day, just by the by, something happened on the Global Underground forums where something about what I was saying was taken out of context in an interview. And they go, oh, he's all about the money. Well, I'm, okay. <laughs> and that, and funnily enough, I was, I actually got really upset by that because I knew that I wasn't. But kids go to live, right? Yeah. So, you know, down this end of town, uh, someone heard that latest single, Opium, and and just basically said what you just said. You're dead to me. Oh, you know, this and that. And I, I deleted his comment because I don't approve of deliberately negative comments. I believe that if you've got something negative to say, keep it to yourself. Like, we're trying to spread the love here, not the hate. Or just be um, constructive about it, you know? Don't just do it, don't just right. be a massive douchebag on the internet. Yeah, but yeah. So that, that is also often um, a side effect of the release getting some decent attention and, and actually doing well, you know? Because a, a part of it is also... I think people are a little bit... I think if people are sometimes not in such a good place in life themselves, they do look at somebody's work being successful or doing well and they they are a little bit resentful of it, you know? Like, they do... They, oh. Like, people definitely <laughs> like want to take you down a peg sometimes just because yeah, of absolutely. some, you know, something within themselves that they're not happy about or, or whatever, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and I, and for, this, for this sort of example that just happened, I actually wrote to him. I said, look, dude, this is how it is. I'm doing this because of this, this, and this. If you don't like it, if you want to pay me to do an entire breaks album, by all means, you can pay me. I'll do it for you. Yeah, you know? I've got to put food on the table, so you know. There was def- there was definitely <laughs> um, a point in time where like the laws of dance music suddenly uh, forbade using breakbeats 
in like progressive music you know there was like this awesome progressive break scene and people like hybrid and like all these kind of people doing like such cool stuff and then there was just like this this like specific point in time where it's like okay like no more break beats on the dance floor you know like maybe you can have like a break beat for like you know 20 seconds in the breakdown uh, (laughs) but that's it you know and even then it sort of blows people away a little bit they're like you know um yeah i've always found that quite interesting as well uh i was uh, with my friend nathan who sings on a couple of my records and um uh, we were at his nephew's place the other day and uh, they're kind of the next generation are kind of like EDM kids and um, one of them was like oh do you ever like put like a breakbeat uh, in in your track and I was about to say like yeah you know like I used to do that all the time and he's he's kind of like um, you know like do you ever do like a breakbeat like and I'm like oh no no I don't do it I don't do that like <laughs> I'm old like that's like a new breakbeat that I don't really do uh, he was he was talking more like trap. That's kind of the that, you know it's and yeah. uh, it's interesting how like the world has changed so much um, and even the definitions of everything have changed. Like progressive house is definitely you know it's turned into something completely different. And that that you know as I've sort of said many times um, on the internet is mainly because of the whole beatport classification thing. Oh, it's a hundred percent. That is the only reason, and here's why. Ivan, for instance, was when I was working with him heaps when they were talking about big room. All of those guys were calling it Big Room. They were all calling it Big Room. But did Beatport budge? No. They said they were making Big Room and they said they were playing Big Room House. Yeah. Did Beatport budge? No. Where are they going to put it? Well, it's 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 like a new house. Well, let's put it in Progressive House. <laughs> Bang. Yeah. Destroyed it like that. And the, the irony is that it actually kind of flies in the face of a lot of the kind of values that Progressive House had to begin with, you know? Exactly. Um, it's, yes. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of regressive house, if, if anything. It is. It is. It's, and, um, I, I guess that probably a, wouldn't I, sell as well, though. <laughs> no, no. Well, I actually did a petition. I don't know if you know. But oh, dude, I, 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 if, if it's the petition I th- that I'm thinking of, I think I actually signed that petition. Is, is, is it the one where Beatport actually said, yes, we recognize that this definitely totally is a problem and we're going to do something about it? And then, like, uh, no, I don't know. I'll see if I can find it. Big Room House Beat Port Marvel Petition Change. I'll just find it. Yeah, like it's it's nothing against that kind of music. It's just that it's it's been put in the wrong classification, you know. And um, yeah, and and so so this is the thing: is that people are like, oh, it's Beatport's fault for putting it in the wrong classification. But okay, it's Beatport's fault for not opening the two new genres and there were actually 3,100 signatures on this petition. Yeah. Um, I'll send it to you. Uh, you might have signed it, but, but, um, well, which, but whichever one problem- I was looking at, Beatport definitely responded and said, yes, we're going to do something about it. And then three years passed and then everyone was like, uh, so are you going to do something about it? And then, yeah, like not too long ago, like about a month or, or maybe like a few I months saw ago. That. Yeah. Beatport came back yep. and they said, oh, just an update on this. Like we're working on it. <laughs> And then they deleted that comment. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was um, was like the EDM mafia came in and were like, okay, just, just, yeah, you don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, so my, I was just going to say my petition was um, the big, open two new genres, big room and commercial dance. And the thing is, is that, um, that not only Beatport need to open the genres, but the labels or the distributors when they're giving, when they're, filing the tracks for Beatport, if they were there, they'd be able to put it there. It just, it makes sense. I haven't even think traps there yet. Yeah, it's, and and unfortunately, um, this is one of those things where, like, those kind of predetermined, like, channels uh, of music 
pretty much rule the world. Like they, they pretty much define what people are listening to and what you know. It's like if you step outside of that kind of predefined structure of like what a style of music is, um, you often get kind of penalized for it pretty, pretty severely. I think like that's what I've always kind of found. I found that sort of um, like for me personally, I've had so many kind of industry types come to me and say like Jimbo you really need to decide if you're a progressive house or trance like you can't just sit in the middle of the two like this you can't just straddle like the border between two worlds because nobody's going to know what to do with you and it's so true you know like like on the internet you know when I'm just sort of broadcasting my stuff to my fan base it, it's totally fine um but when it comes to like a festival you know, it's like, you know, then it, then it becomes a matter of, oh, well, he's not really quite trancey enough for the trance stage because, you know, everyone, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, they want, they want like, they want like trance, like to the max, you know, like to the, on the tranciest end of the trance spectrum that you can get. Um, you know, but then it's, it's, it's the same with like, like the progressive house world. Then you're, you're perhaps a little bit too trancey for that, you know? So, um, it, it's just one of those things that like, I, I think, you know, perhaps what you were saying about, you know, like the new sound that you've that you've started doing now is perhaps like a little bit more like bolted to that kind of Pridzy stream of like that ideology of progressive house of that kind of Eric Prids thing, which I think that's it. You know, I, I think when you say Pridzy, I think I think a better way of looking at that is that he's like one of the best people. He is the best person who does that particular sound. You know, it's 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 not like he invented it as such. He just it's it's more like he's sort of. He's he's taken that sound and he's sort of fleshed it out more and his and has turned it into something which is uniquely his, you know. But um, I think it's one of those things. I, I, you know, I, I think you see it in other in other industries as well. I think if you look in like the world of acting or something, I think probably like Hollywood actors will tell you like you do need to play by the rules to some extent or nobody's gonna be interested in you. You know, like you, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think I think where it goes wrong is when people redefine their entire sound to fit into that kind of thing because i think that's when you start to sacrifice your integrity and you start to you know you start to sacrifice like the personality that your music has this, this is it's an amazing point that you just brought up because i laugh at some of the comments sometimes about my big progressive house now and i'm like did you hear dream on did you hear these days those days remix did you hear this did you hear that or you just blind <laughs> yeah so it's exactly what i was doing back then with new sounds and a different slightly different vibe yeah you know it's just it's no different to me and another thing i would say is that um i do notice that there's a kind of like uh there's a trend with i think with like the more notable producers and the more talented ones there is this trend of like people having this burst of talent when they're like young for me it sort of started when i was about sort of 18 or 20 that was when people were sort of really interested in in like the industry was very interested in like a lot of stuff that i was doing you had this kind of like almost like um unlimited pool of of inspiration and creative kind of talent to draw on when you first start out and that's because you still have so much to say you know and yeah. um, then I find what kind of happens is uh, after that initial burst of kind of success and recognition and admiration and et cetera, um, artists often then have, have to like climb like a very big mountain because once they've sort of said what they're all about with this big amount of music that's done well, you know, the story needs to continue. And I think it's when people hit that point, it's, uh, for me, it was in my 20s, it's like you have to sort of reinvent what you're all about and you have to sort of come up with yeah. with a further a further definition of, of what your sound is and what you're all about you have to continue the story and that can be a very hard thing to do because it's usually happening at a time when you're figuring yourself out you know um 
And so for yeah, me, well, like, I, I just hit a point where I, where I, I just sort of decided, all right, if I'm going to quit, like, it, it, if I was going to quit, it would have happened by now. I'm just going to keep climbing this mountain forever until I until yeah. it kills me or, in, or until I finally, like, make some headway. And I, I think, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I think that that's finally, for me, that's finally sort of happened in the last few years. You know, I, I finally kind of dug myself out of that, out of that sort of, like, sophomore slump, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, I've... Um, there's a couple of things that came to mind and, and everyone has exactly what you're talking about. Um, Ivan had it for years. Um, when, when I stopped working with him, he was in that slump. I mean, that was an old for him. He's 10 years older than me. But, and then he met Grant and he did flaunt it. And that was like, I don't know, five, six years or something where he didn't know what he was doing. And, and he's, he, even after TV Rock, he's doing this, you know, he had another, okay, what am I doing now? And it, it's sort of, keep redefining himself but for me I, I went off and I did a little sort of Chemical Brothers Daft Punk prodigy sort of band with the Shiloh guys it was sort of an electronic sort of Daft Punk Chemical Brothers that vibe uh-huh. um, and uh, we didn't get that signed so we moved on and we did we added rock elements and then we turned it into a full-fledged band and I started a rock band and I was a lead singer and that was awesome and I loved it but we got you know, kind of stitched along the way and decided not to continue on that. And that's when I got back into my stuff. And and the other thing I was going to say is for me, I find right now, and, and people don't realize this, they think I've got my feet up in a nice big studio, making music all the time, you know, throwing the ball for the cat, that sort of stuff. <laughs> when the reality is I've never had a studio. I've never had a piece of outboard equipment. I've only had a computer and speakers. I still don't have a studio. I, most of my time is spent working for other people, making music for them, polishing their records, mixing, mastering, and only a small percentage of time is working on my own stuff. And as far as that creativity that you're talking about, that's what I'm hurting with right now is because I've got so much creativity, but I don't have my own time to, to spend on my own records because I've got to put food on the table. Yeah. So... You know, and, and this is that where I'm at right now is I'm trying to get up to that point where I can tour a bit and continue doing my own stuff because I've got so much left in the tank. It's ridiculous. It just it oozes out of me. It's, um, and and that's, it, that's a very frustrating point to be at. We just don't have enough time to do your own stuff, you know. You, it doesn't mean get a ghostwriter, but it, 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 you just, you know, I'd prefer to be doing my own stuff because I've got too many ideas. Yeah. I mean, um, um, and it, it definitely, like, I was lucky enough for a few years there that I could, you know, like, my life generally wasn't very expensive. And, um, you know, I was, like, touring enough, you know, like, there was enough going on. There was there were enough opportunities with the DJ gigs and stuff um, where, you know, I could sort of get by just being a kind of, like, head in the clouds kind of artist, which, you know, like, I'm, I, I'm very lucky to have had that for, for a time. But I did hit a point where, you know, suddenly... Um, you know, there were not so many DJing opportunities as there used to be. And there was, it was in, insanely more competitive all of a sudden. And there was suddenly like a, a hell of a lot more people, like people vying for those kind of places on the lineups and stuff. And I, I hit a point where I was like, uh, I'm going to need to hustle like really bad if I want to like exist because uh, I have nothing to fall back on. You know, I've thrown everything, I've put all my eggs into this, yeah. into this, like being a DJ basket. And um, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's when I started you know, like, I, I kind of realized that for if like for underground music, you kind of like need to leave no stone unturned. You need to 
be exploring as many avenues as you can and you do need to basically have a day job like whether it be going and working for somebody else i mean i've got like a i've moved into a much much nicer studio here in berlin now where i can start doing mixing and mastering and studio work for other people and stuff so um and I, I'm, i'm just so grateful to to have that you know to have this kind of this space where i can come in and just basically uh make a living you know um it doesn't have to all because yeah. i i think actually yeah like I think about how much stress that caused me in the past, um, having to constantly work out where my next gig was going to be. And, and, you know, and it was always about putting food on the table and same with releases and stuff as well. It was like, I'd had this, I'd had this feeling of like, Oh, like I really need to sort of come up with a new hit that somebody's going to sign and pay me in advance for so that I have some, <laughs> some money coming in, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally, I, I've reached a point now where I have to admit that, I'm kind of enjoying being on the road a little bit less and being in the studio more. I think for me, the studio is is really where the magic happens. I think I've sort of been at enough big shows now, you know, like being being on the sort of above and beyond like touring circuit for for a few years there. It was it was just so totally nuts. Um, but it also made me kind of realize that you know, like that sort of like I love DJing, I love playing in front of people, and I I, I think people really enjoy the shows that I put on. But for me, you know, the, the, the most magical parts of the career for me are being here in the studio and, you know, coming up with a cool idea all of a sudden and, and you know, staying yep. here until like the wee hours of the morning. Not that I do that that much. Yep. <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and, and I think because, you know, it's it's what you write that is ultimately going to sort of go down in history. It's if, you, if you're a DJ, you know, people are going to know, people get people are going to, see that you've you've played in front of these big crowds and stuff like that but it's the music that will be around forever and and i think it's really hard to say even how how much of a half-life the music that we that we are doing has because people might be listening to it in like a thousand years time you know um, oh <laughs> like, yeah and look and this is something i've forgotten and i played a gig um i get little gigs here and there around australia and whatever to play the old stuff but it's something really interesting happened um not last New Year's, the New Year's before, sorry, the Christmas before, I basically p- played a gig deep in Russia um, in Yekaterinburg, mm-hmm. um, which is above Kazakhstan. And when I got there, I thought, you know, I was going to play my new progressive stuff, this and that. And then I started realizing that they are in a complete time warp and they are living in Luke Sharble breaks 2003 to 2006 land. Yeah. Or 2002 to 2006, all of that, all of it. And it's like they were my biggest fans in the world and that is their favourite music to listen to. They have this whole crew and I, I played in front of, I don't know, 600 people or something and I changed my whole set to be just breaks. And they were singing, you know, uh, New Breed and, and my record one day. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but they were singing the damn words to it. And I was able to drop the fader and they were singing it. I was dead. <laughs> and this record is from bloody 2004. The whole club was going bananas. The whole club wanted to shake my hand afterwards. And I was like, wow, this is proof, like just what you just said. It lives on. And it lives on in the weirdest places too. And it, people just pick it up and they go, they, they get it, you know? And, and it means, it means 
completely different things for the people who are listening to it than it than it does for you as well. Like they have no concept of like what was going on in your life when you wrote it or like what where you were or like who you were hanging out with. You know, yeah. like they're, they're like the way they receive it is totally different. It's like you know, um, like a lot of my friends really love like Jody Wistanoff's mixes. Um, you know, like uh, I don't know if you know the yeah. site Hybridized. It's like this like this yeah, faithful definitely. archive of like mixes from from that kind of whole yeah. era, and um. Like those, like Jody Wistanoff mixes to to me and all my friends, like they remind me of like summertime in Australia and like driving around in Canberra and stuff like that, which is probably the polar opposite of what it must have been like for Jody, like where he was living in the UK, you know, <laughs> where it's probably like cold and rainy, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So people sort of take it and and it, it has it kind of has its own life, you know. And so um, for me, like that realization made me sort of go, okay, like it's really important, firstly, to make sure the record is properly produced you know it, like it gave me a, an appreciation for like you you should really get this right because this because it's going to be like beamed into people's brains like hundreds thousands <laughs> millions of times like your like your recent track i just saw um uh comet has had over a million plays on spotify yeah like yeah actually combined it's like 1.2 million of just comet itself but on different playlists but yeah yeah like that's i mean that's incomprehensible you know like you, you'll that's never be able so to comprehend like 1.2 million people crazy. like listening to your track it's, in all these different it's crazy. places it, yeah and it just is like i mean i try to i sit down and go okay think about this for a second i mean i know big artists are just used to that but a little artist like i said to someone else uh pqm you are sleeping the biggest plays i'd ever seen was on youtube and it would hit 150k yeah over over eight years, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, what? What? How does that even work? But, yeah, yeah, fun to watch. <laughs> um, but yeah, congrats, man. I mean, that, that's really cool. Um, thank. You. But like, once again, like, we're, we're living in this industry now where that is kind of starting to become like entry level in terms of like what people expect. For, for know, like you know, yeah. in order to book you or like like you know, it's just like I I have people saying to me because I have about seventy three or seventy four thousand people on my Facebook, and um, people are always like, oh, you like you really need to get that number to a hundred thousand, you know, like and that's that's when people really start getting interested in you, you know, it's like it's, it's kind of weird how that's changed, and um, it makes me wonder sometimes if there's uh too much of a focus being put on being a big deal. You know, and like maybe maybe we've uh, maybe we've put yeah. too much emphasis on like you need to come no, and see I, this artist I, because they're they're yeah. a big deal, you know, no, <laughs> and because I, everyone's talking I, about it. A very very good point again. Um, that that's a major issue. You know, the numbers of plays you've got on your SoundCloud, the numbers of followers on the SoundCloud, the numbers of comments, the numbers of likes on your Facebook. And here is the issue. Here, someone said to me, someone who I'd known for years said to me, "Beatports are relevant." And I said, "Actually." I'm sorry, hun, but it's not. Here's why. If you get a Beatport number one, you'll be picked up by an agent overseas. And you, if you get a number of Beatport number ones or for an amount of time, you'll get gigs overseas just from Beatport. It's as simple as that. Yep. And, and, and that's only one angle, you know. And I know, I know so many other promoters who go, oh, yeah, he's, oh, he's, I'm touring a guy with 13,000 likes. So what? <laughs> no, is the music any good? How did he get those likes? <laughs> yeah, but I think I think um, I mean it is a force of nature in many ways because um, you know it is also you know like the promoters don't have all that much control over how many people are showing up. You know, obviously they need to make sure it's well it's it's well advertised and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's also down to the to the punters to sort of turn up to gigs 
where the artist may not be so necessarily so well known. And there are some places in the world, there are these kind of pockets um, of, of uh, fans around the world that will, you know, like I think places like, and it's usually places that have a kind of cosmopolitan and a, and a big population as well. Like places like Tokyo, Japan, you know, like I think you can, you can play any kind of sub genre of, of, of music and have a good turnout at your parties in Japan. And the people who come will be, will get it. You know, they'll be really educated. New York is another one. Yep. I find I've, I've never really had a gig in New York that hasn't had like a good number of people who are there for the music, you know? Um, so it just depends. So, uh, but like then in other places, you're really fighting an uphill battle, you know, especially if it's places where they haven't had much of that kind of music before. There's a lot of, there's a lot of convincing to be done. There's a lot of convincing of the promoters to be done. And there's a lot of convincing of the fans like to be done as yeah. well. You know? Yeah. I had a gig once, um, before DJ snake and it was, it was just after he released, uh, turn down for what? basically he <laughs> it was in this like uh it was in minneapolis and it was this big um like stadium kind of thing and uh i i don't think i've ever been so like flummoxed as to what i'm gonna play <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a gig um as i was in this case because i knew that everybody was i well i felt like everyone was going to be there for turn down for what you know and yeah. that's like tr it's like trap you know it's like a totally different style of music and i i sort of w we discussed it with like the agencies and the promoters and stuff and everyone was like yeah like it'll it'll make for a really diverse gig and in the end that's actually pretty much exactly what happened like i i got up and played and everyone had a great time and then like dj snake played and everyone had a great time like with with a different beat you know and um ev yeah. in the end everyone was just there for a rave you know um, yeah yeah so yeah like I, I just feel like maybe this idea of like underground dance music has to be always, you know, sort of swept to the side and put on the back burner to make room for the big guys. Like, I understand that there is this kind of gravitational pull that they have, but I also think there's like an unlimited like wealth of people out there around the world who, who love this kind of sound, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just feel like maybe it just needs to be a, a bit more cohesive, you know, and, and and like to that end, I'm really glad that, you know, like Zero Three, you know, that was like, I, th I feel like Zero, the Zero Three label is such a good step in the right direction because it's like, it's it's unashamedly progressive house. It's kind of run and operated by Tool Room, who obviously, you know, have a lot of sort of street cred and um, yeah. are, are very firmly established in the scene. So, you know, um, yeah, I think, I think it's not unreasonable to say that progressive house was perhaps taken away from the scene to an unnecessary degree. Like I, I, I can understand it not being like the, 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 the most in thing, but I, I do feel like it, it kind of had its platform taken away from it from, for, for a long time. And it's just in the last year or so that it's actually started to come back, you know? And I think part oh, yeah. of, part of what has made that happen is that the kind of EDM kind of boom has moved. I think that whole kind of like all those kind of genres of music have moved far enough in the pop direction now that they have essentially become pop music like there was a there was an edm like playlist on spotify that i checked out a couple of days ago and it was basically just like a whole playlist of like spotify kind of pop music like it was like it wasn't even really poppy dance music it was it was just pop like it's not even like a dance beat half the time anymore like it's you know it's moved it's moved far away enough you know, and it, it's moved far away enough into like the kind of Justin Bieber kind of territory now that it's kind of created space for like dance music as it was pre EDM to just kind of pick up where it left off, I think, and, yeah, and, and yeah, continue absolutely. developing. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I, what I saw it as the whole scene is <sighs> disregarding the electro for a second. 
that was kind of like a drop off a cliff and then start reboot. <laughs> yeah. But but what I witnessed from when I was a bit younger was um, trance. I used to call everything kind of trance and and that like techno and then I used to call it trance and I used to write German trance. I used to call it German trance before like on the Trance Master CDs before I got signed and that's what I got signed with a kind of trance record. And so even though I was writing Progressive House in the early, early, early days with Ivan, I was listening to Gatecrasher. I was listening to Ferry Corst and, and, you know, he was my idol. And, yeah. uh, and then I was listening to Tim O'Mass. And, and what I noticed is Gatecrasher became so prominent and, and got so big and everyone just did a, a U-turn and they went back as far as they could go into deep, deep, dark, minimal and that was what the, the new thing and then they went, well, this is too minimal, and they, they put tribal beats under it. And everyone's like, oh, this is too much tribal. And then Progressive House got its time again. And Progressive ha- and I luckily caught that wave at the right time. I was in the right place, right time. And I was doing music that resonated, and, you know, and then, you know, that went off in, in its direction. And unfortunately, I think that the industry was about a, a 20th the size that it is now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it would have been a bit better if that happened to me around now. <laughs> although although but, uh, you, fe- you feasibly might have made more money out of out of your releases th- back then <laughs> than you would now. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, so the way I see it is, it sort of ebbs and flows. You know, it goes down deep, dark, and everyone's into deep house, real deep house, and then they go, "Ooh, and that's not deep enough. Let's do future house." Then, <laughs> yeah. then they get the musical stuff again that's where progressive shines and the trance guys can even call their stuff progressive house or progressive trance as they call some of my stuff you know yeah and i mean the whole the whole trance sound as a classification has moved sort of like back to like 128 bpm and, and stuff yeah. like that generally anyway um which is where i left off in 2005 anyway yeah <laughs> um so i will say for the progressive house scene in australia though was that it kind of or maybe not even just progressive house, but I think actually the whole dance music scene in general, back in like the days of like in the mix and the future music festival was really big. And like, um, what was that? What was the new year's festival? That was, there was like, uh, summer days and welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Like all that, all that kind of stuff. I think we actually kind of did it better than a lot of the world, you know, like there was a great scene in the UK, but like some, I think Australia has like a, uh, almost like a better locale for that kind of music. You know, it was like, we do. We, so I heard, I did hear, I, a, um, a little report somewhere that suggested that basically we, this is back in the day, that we had more people going to dance parties and raves, like ratio-wise, than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've got a relatively small population and we had 30,000, 40,000 people going to summer days. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a big thing for a small town compared Definitely. to London. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, um, I feel like um, I remember we had, like in Canberra as well. Like um, so for for those listeners who who are not that familiar with Canberra, it's the uh, it's the it's the small capital city of Australia that was built uh, between Sydney and Melbourne because they couldn't decide whether to make Sydney or Melbourne the capital. <laughs> <laughs> Little backstory: we would have like raves at like the university university refectories, and we'd have people like Satoshi Tomie come play. I remember he was a headliner once, and you know we'd have like fifteen hundred, two thousand people show up. 
you know, we had like people like Hernan Catania. There was like one particular Sasha gig at the at the ANU um, at the university in Canberra, which which will forever go down in history as being one of the most. You know, like people like Danny Howells. We had this insane, yep. insanely well attended um, scene with like great production. You know, really big sound systems, great visuals, stuff like that. Like we did a really, really good job of it, and. Um, Unfortunately, that kind of just fizzled out after a while. Like somewhere around like mid two, like two thousand five, two thousand six, maybe a little bit later than that, um, it started to change, and 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 there started to be a sort of, you know, like a lot of clubs and stuff were suddenly finding that they couldn't really uh, keep themselves going unless they started turning towards more like R and B kind of foam parties and <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> um, there was this kind of yeah. So it it kind of died off in in a big way, and I think that's just because people got you know people got bored of the idea like you know like i think that was the that was the shockwave of dance music hitting australia for the first time and and taking the whole country by storm and i think that's what's really different now is that it's you know it's never going to be brand new again this this rave culture is is well and truly firmly established um all around the world you know even places like india um in the last 10 years have gone from not having the slightest clue what any of this is to having this like constant uh EDM kind of touring scene, festival scene, stuff like that. Like it's all yep. it's all very set up and established now, and um, all the different styles of music have been uh, very much explored and uh, in many ways maxed out in terms of the sound that you can, the sound quality and 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 the the production quality and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, but that said, I think there are still some artists who are like really um, you know pushing the envelope, and and I, I still I, st- I still think it's going to be very exciting just to see where it goes from here because if we have that kind of depth of intelligence uh, of music coming back combined with all of the cool stuff that we've learned from the EDM era and there's so much good stuff that's come from EDM there's like they have refined the sound a lot you know like the, the production once again you know you can play you can play dance music on like the tiniest tiniest little pair of phone speakers now or like or whatever you know and uh, and it comes through loud and clear which I think is a good thing you know as long as it's not smashed yeah. too hard it is good to have that kind yeah. of so yeah, it's interesting, like the way that it's all changed. I I also wanted to because um a really sort of big development for you in the last little while, obviously, has been Vocalizer, which I've um, uh, which I have put to use once uh so far and and had really good experiences with. Do you want to give us just a bit of a rundown of of what Vocalizer is first and foremost, and uh, and yeah, how it all came yeah, about? Definitely, definitely. So basically, back when I was doing this new sound that we're talking about, I had one track called Easy, which was. People have heard it before on, on on my Around the World compilation, but there was a vocal that I wanted, and I was telling people, this is the vocal I want, like this guy, kind of like that, kind of like this. And then I was just sitting there one day after I just showed some people in the industry that, that record, and, and I thought, why, don't, why can't I do that? Like, why can't I just go to a website and type in Beyonce? $300 Melbourne, and it will show me all the people that sound like Beyonce in Melbourne. And I thought, you know what? There's nothing like that. And I just did a search. I, did, I looked around and go, there was absolutely no. I know there's nothing because no one's told me about it. And then my brain exploded, and over the next 48 hours, everything you kind of see just came out and um, bar a few things. But so what the idea is, is it's a, it's a way, I mean, previously you would, you would ask, you'd finish your record, you'd ask a friend and, you know, do you know any vocalists? And six months later they go, hey, my friend's dog's cousin's auntie's possum's friend knew a vocalist once when they were at this funeral. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's that's, and then from there we sort of developed it to, 
you know, as a community, as a as an industry, we developed it to all right. So you you go off and and you go through YouTube for the next two and a half weeks flat and find someone. And if they come back to us, then awesome, it's meant to be. And still, it was a ridiculous, a ridiculous situation. And and I just thought, well, how could this be awesome? What what do I want? What what could be awesome? And that's where I say, well, I just want to post a gig in, or just look for a vocalist first up. I just want to look for someone that sounds like Dido. Dido. Type that in there, bang, you've got all people who sound like Dido or close to Dido and all of a sudden you, there's no sob stories. It's just straight to the point. So it's a marketplace for connecting producers and vocalists for real recording jobs, whether it's, I mean, a vocalist can post a job for producers, um, which they haven't done as much yet. Um, they just want to feature on records it seems. But producers post jobs for vocalists. Vocalists come and say, yeah, I'll do that for 500 bucks." But they don't say it. They just do a bid yep. because, you know, the last thing a producer, we want to make it efficient. The producer doesn't want to sit there and read 58 pages as to why they're the right person because at the end of the day, your vocal and your skill is going to be the right person, not your sob story. So, um, you know, there's that and, and there's so much more coming. We're actually building, and th- you're hearing this first, we're building a marketplace whereby you're a producer, you've finished a record, you go to Vocalizer, go to Marketplace, load your track in the player at the top and then start listening to already pre-recorded custom once-off acapellas songs. So a singer-songwriter will. Um, sit there and write songs for days. They don't just sit there and wait till a job comes in. They write songs. They keep going. So you put your track in the player and you start, you go, well, my track's 123B minor or whatever. Search for female 123B minor and like 58 vocals will come up, let's say, just in the early days. Um, And you'll be able to listen to that over your track right there and then. That's immense. That'll that'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, and that's, you know, and then you'll be able to either buy it straight off or say or bid to buy it and then the vocals will say, yeah, cool, I'd love to work on you with this and you change a bit of the words and then done, you're off. Nice one. So now there's even more but I won't let that one out of the bag yet. Okay, well, uh, thanks, thanks for the reveal. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, yeah, because up until now, I mean, my experiences with vocalists has generally tend to be like, like the conversations I have with other producers are like, I'm sort of looking for a vocalist and they're like, well, I've got these, you know, it's like, a, it's almost like a shady deal being done in like a back alley or something. They're like, oh, I've got like a few yeah. hookups here, you know, I can hook you up with this person, um, you know, yeah. and then some of them get passed around too much, you know, it's like, sometimes it's like, oh, well, you're a good vocalist, but like, oh, like these other five artists that all sound just like me have already used you. And it's like, ah, oh, you know? And so, yeah. yeah, I guess typically people nowadays are looking for vocalists that haven't been used so much. And I think that's what's so cool about this service is it is, it is a way for anybody, you know, to, to just put themselves on there. And if they have talent, it'll be recognized. Um, and I think it's also good to have like a sort of online system where you've got like a payment system through the actual site as well. Yeah. Where I'm guessing like the, absolutely they put the money yeah, up, yeah, up front a- and then all, all that jazz. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a really good thing too. I mean, like um, for my like mixing and mastering work and a few other projects as well, I've been using sound better for the last little while. And, um, yeah, I've been like a really big fan of that kind of thing. Like it's been, it's been such a good little, it's, it's, it's such a great little profile for like, this is what I do. Um, this is what it costs. And 
you know, um, and people can get in touch. They can just, you know, put the money up up front and, um, you know, and you, and you can get like good, like feedback and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, what, I, was, it's that? what was that called? Sound better. It's called. It's, it's actually, Sounds it's, it's better. a very, very similar functionality to vocalizer. It's, it's, um, yeah. And they've done a good job of it too. And, uh, I've applied for a, uh, premium kind of like account with them. And so what they, they like the, the base service is free and they have this kind of premium account. Um, but once you actually apply for premium, uh, there's no guarantee that you'll actually get it anytime soon. Like you, you actually just get put into a kind of waiting list. And the reason that they do that is the premium account allows you to, um, apply for other people's jobs. Like, uh, the, the base account, the only way, the only direction that it flows is that people can approach you for work. It's a place for you to advertise your services and people can come to you. Whereas if you have a premium account, there's a jobs board where you can go and apply for a job. And the, the idea being, um, only five premium, uh, engineers or, or producers can apply for a, a single job. So you're never like fighting, you, you, you never have that much competition, um, you know, in terms of other yeah. people applying for the same job. And so the reason that they're, they're, they're slowly rolling that out is that they're only allowing new kind of premium engineers in, uh, at, at a ratio that matches the amount of incoming jobs that they have as, as the service gets bigger. <laughs> so I, th- I think that's yeah. really clever. And it's, so, you know, I, I am kind of going for that inner circle. And so like for, for the moment, I'm just basically like building my reviews and stuff like that, but it's been really cool. It's been, it's been a really good way for me to just sort of broadcast to the world that I had this cool studio and I had the time to like do cool stuff like for your for your music you know if you need it um and here's how you do it you know and they've made like they've they've facilitated that process and they've made it totally easy so it's it's yeah and especially given that you're running such a similar service but for vocalists i would definitely recommend checking it out you know um yeah yeah i definitely will yeah i mean like in general they're more about mixing and mastering i mean there is kind of like you know they do have people in there sort of like it's definitely i I wouldn't say it would be like your one-stop shop for like finding a vocalist for example so you know so i think i think you know like vocalizer and sound better i think i think the services are distinct enough but they definitely do like share some similarities as well yeah yeah cool interesting yeah um so as yeah actually as as far as mixing and mastering goes um i I do have a few kind of canned questions for you which i think i think people would be interested to know about i mean i've sort of i've sort of decided that this show is always i'm 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 not really going to make the focus about like what resonance do you use on your like EQ filters or like, you know, what, what compressor settings do you use? I I feel like we, we definitely get buried in the technical stuff a little bit too much. And there's a lot of that out there as well. So I'm kind of all more about the kind of like spiritual approach to things and, and, and the, and the overall kind of like ideologies that, that, that different producers have. Um, but I will ask (laughs) what kind of setup are you generally using as far as speakers go? You said, you said you didn't, you don't use much of a setup, but as far as software, you know, that you use and stuff like that. So I'm in Logic, and I've got a pair of KRK RP8s that, together with Steve May, we purchased when I got back from Amsterdam in 2005. Okay, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> you know what's interesting? Um, I had some KRK uh, VXTs, and yeah. I ended up getting rid of them because I just felt like there was so much that they were not telling me, and there was oh, there was so much that they were getting wrong. But then when I was just in Australia, like downstairs at my parents' place, my parents have like a great room downstairs in their house, which is like the perfect studio room already, like just acoustically and stuff. And um, I borrowed some uh, some RP5s from a friend of mine. 
And uh, they were so awesome that I think I'm actually going to get some here in the studio. I've got, I've, I've got some Adams and Dynaudios here in the studio. And the Adams are great. The Adams have this kind of big, kind of like nice kind of studio finish and nice clarity and stuff. But those like RP5s and RP8s, like they, um, they make you focus on what's really important like with the groove i find like and they you know i find that like stuff you do on them it like it sticks it comes through really well on like laptop speakers and stuff and uh on, yeah. on club systems as well like it's got that kind of clubby kind of thumpiness you know uh yeah. what about headphones do you use do you do much work in headphones i did for a while i broke my leg and was in a full leg cast for six months so i did a lot of research i mean previously i use my and swear by my technics rp dj 1200s Okay. Um, they they're just like a friggin' dance music system, um, <laughs> and I knew them really well. But they're really bad for your ears because, well, if you listen to them at long lengths at really loud volumes, they compress so well. Yeah. Um, but but I uh, but when I broke my leg, I got onto the Bad Dynamic uh, DT Pro eighty eight eighties, and um, they're open ear. I bet I got the. Usually, you could you should have a, a nice little amplifier to drive them, a flat response amplifier, non-colouring. And uh, these are a little bit higher ohms just for laptops. So, yeah, I was I was on those for quite a while doing heaps of records that <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I actually did a remix for Ivan and TV Rock remix that my name went on as well. But he ran me and goes, mate, have you got your new studio set up? I said, <laughs> no, I've still got a broken leg and I'm lying in bed on headphones. <laughs> bloody hell and I could hear his wife in the background go well you don't need a $20,000 studio do you <laughs> <laughs> so Amazing. yeah they're really good headphones but um, it's you know what at the end of the day anything works except for laptop speakers I can get some stuff out of there if I know what I'm looking at but most stuff works you just got to learn the speakers or the headphones yeah. once you learn them you can go anywhere definitely definitely and um I find it's it's good to have a few different systems to bounce back and forth between. Like yep. I I like at the moment another service actually just as as an aside another service I would really recommend to people is Splice. It's basically like uh, Dropbox for producers and it's free and it has unlimited space. It syncs all of your projects between home and the studio, for example, or between you and other people. And uh, not only does it do it automatically and archive each save, but it also um, compresses uses good compression to decrease this like you know it, it compresses all of the audio before it in, in like a lossless way before it uploads it so that you know you don't have like any kind of like massive like download and upload and uh so i'm really loving at the moment sort of being in the studio and like working on everything in here and then going home and then just opening up the project at home and um continuing to work on everything with different systems so you know yeah like i like my macbook laptop speakers i like working on my laptop just because the audio interface is like a little bit different somehow like the like with my headphones and stuff it's like a little bit different you know i've got yeah. my older lisa speakers set up as like my lounge room kind of hi-fi system um so i think it's really good to sort of bounce around between different systems you know usually you, you know it's, it's not until you listen to something on laptop speakers that you realize that something's wrong you know like 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 your kick might be too loud or, or whatever but as far as mix approach goes what's your what's your general sort of approach to mixing are you the kind of guy who does it all as you go along or do you just sort of put the track together at first Definitely musically do it do it as i go along 100 percent. i've always done it like that it's just, for me that's faster um because i know what i'm doing and i know how to get a certain sound so i'm really quick and then i'll go back and i'll once i've got it i have a little uh, a naming 
convention that I came up with. And so there's D and D1, D2, D3. That's all demos before there's a full mix. Okay. Um, and then when there's a full mix, like a full length record, which is pretty much done, pretty much is the, the quote, um, then I'll call it an F1. And then I'll go F1, F2, F3, F4, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and so, I mean, I can go through from F1 to bloody F10 because I'll listen to the track. Even if I think it's done, I'll sit there and I'll listen to the track in headphones or when I'm going to bed or something. Hundreds of times. I'll just keep going through it and through it and things will come out and pop out and do this and do that. So I mostly mix it as I go. And these are my tracks though. You know, other people's tracks, I I just, I know how to mix stuff. I, I just go through and mix it and get it to the point and then do the, do the changes that they want. Um, but with my stuff, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I polish the crap out of it. So, I think also it's uh, when you dive into somebody else's mix, you can generally, you can see straight away what needs to be done. You can, you know, I, oh, I find yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it, like it's, you have to think a lot harder about it with your own music because you have more blind spots with your own music. You know, you're, you're more, you're, you're very, very like acquainted with your own sound and therefore it can be easy to overlook some really, really simple basic things, you know? And that's why I think it's also good to have like a few people around you who aren't necessarily so technically minded about the whole thing, who can listen to it and just give you like a layman's opinion as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have like, uh, really sort of two more main questions that I want to ask you. The first one would be, um, what would you say has been your biggest breakthrough with music composition and production lately? Lately? Ooh, that's a good question. I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'll, I'll answer it slightly differently. Sure. One of the most amazing pieces of tech I've touched recently is Push 2. And I use Logic and I don't like sitting down to make music in Ableton. I think it's just so backwards, but... When I sit down to make music with push, it's a completely different set of rules. Like it's just, it's just something nice and organic about it. It's so much fun. Um, and and Danny and I are actually Danny Benici and I are starting a new live act around the. We're having two pushes and and two analog keys since and, and blah blah blah. But I think that's the most breakthrough thing I've touched recently. Definitely, yeah. Is that is the push to? I, I've seen a, like a promo video for it, but I I didn't really have much of an understanding of how it worked. Is it is it kind of like a launch pad type? Like is is it for? Is it sort of to mirror the kind of Ableton no, live it's not interface? Just, yeah, I, I this is what I think push two is. I think push two is the realization of Ableton Live. I okay. don't think that you look at the computer. I don't think that's the realization of Ableton Live. I think push two is the realization of Ableton Live. It's it's taking being out, you can make music on the fly, you can you can do whatever you need to do, you can add effects to this and it's so quick. I could be quicker with a mouse than in logic, but but organically and, and just getting ideas up, it's just it's it, it's how Ableton should have been from day one. Um, so I think, you know, once more people get onto push two, you know, that will do really well for them. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a massive Ableton head. Um, so that's, that definitely sounds like something that would be fun to check out. Um, I did used to do like a live tour. Like I did, did a couple of live tours. Um, didn't really do that many gigs. I did like, I did one tour of Australia and I think I did one in Japan as well, where I had like, you know, like a MIDI keyboard and I had like an MPD and, uh, like all this stuff. 
and uh, it was like playing live. And um, yeah, like it was cool, but I, back then I just did felt like I didn't have enough control over everything. Or I, you yeah, know, with like with like as one person, I could only control so much. And I also felt like what I was doing wasn't apparent enough uh, to the audience. But maybe actually that is starting to change now. Like maybe. Um, maybe that's the the direction that it's heading in a bit more is this kind of like live performance thing. Cause I think that, you know, the, like that, that does add, like, a, I think nowadays that adds a layer of interestingness to the show that perhaps DJing doesn't, doesn't necessarily have. So, um, yeah. 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 Well, this is why Danny and I decided to do this is because we just, we kind of got we're like, yeah, we like DJing. It's great, but we want to do something else. We actually want to make music on the fly right in front of people. Cool. Yeah. Uh, without it sounding like a live act. Yeah. That's that's the like the one thing I got to say like um is that often when somebody switches from DJing to being a live act they suddenly sound a lot more like Underworld or something or like a lot more you know it's, it it yeah. suddenly turns into like a lot more kind of live techno yeah that's not what I want to do and I I stressed this to Danny before we went embarked on this journey that we're only just really at the start but I said look I don't want to do loopy techno that is typical of live music I want to do stuff that you know sounds like it's come it's a real polished record and you know i want all of that kind of lfo tool and this compression here and that there i want it to sound polished i don't want it to sound like a live act as such yeah so and and that doesn't mean i won't that means we'll be it's a lot more work but that's all right (laughs) that's part of the fun yeah and the other question I had for you, and uh, this is, um, you know, this is a bit of a loaded question, but what do you think should be the next steps for the dance music industry and community in 2016? Oh. <laughs> I, I, I saved the heavy hitters for the end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, look, I, I think it's kind of going in the right direction. I think people have taken a step back and said, you know, it's all a bit too much. We need a bit more substance. And and I think in most fields you're getting a bit more substance. Um, yeah, I mean, you just look at Sasha's new album. He's just said, oh, "I've proved myself now. I'm going to go and make something that I want to make." And it's it, it's really I drove here. It's an hour drive to my mum's house, and I drove here, and I found myself being really emotional. And like, and it's there's not lots of big hooks, but there were some points in there I got chills and stuff, and thought, "Yeah, this is." This is right. It's making me feel again. It's just not making me want to jump up and go, yeah. It's making me feel inside, and that's what I always used to want to do. That I is actually, used to- yeah, that's like number one on my to listen list. Actually, is uh, is yeah. So um, yeah. So that's that's it, ladies and gentlemen. The next ne- next steps for everyone in the dance music industry and community: go and listen to Scene Delete by Sasha and report back to us. Let us know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's very different. You wouldn't expect it. Um, you can really tell he's he's actually saying something. He's saying, you know what, I've proved myself. Now I want to make something for me that I want to sit down and listen to. And and that's, um, you know, I've actually got an album cooking in the works, which keeps reminding me of listening to Scene Delete. Uh, one of mine's called Soothe. And, and it's all this stuff that I just like listening to. It's like musical um, musical flows, I guess, and just stuff that... Uh, isn't necessarily a song but it's just a feeling and emotion and stuff and then you know every now and then you get a bit of hook and a bit of emotion and a bit of song and but yeah it's definitely it's different but uh, but I like I like the fact that he he it's kind of like a fuck you to the 
well, you've done your 100 hits album. You know, I don't need to do that now. I'm going to do my thing that, you know, I'd love to sit down and listen to. And I, I really appreciate it for that. Awesome. Yeah, I very much look forward to listening, listening to that. And uh, I also look forward to seeing what this uh, forthcoming possible Sasha and Digweed collaboration is going to bring as well, because they're, they're apparently joining forces again. Also, I was reading on the internet. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be, I reckon it's going to be called the Gamma Ray 4000 Tour. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Delta Heavy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I'll Gamma Ray 4000. Yeah. And I still remember watching that Delta Heavy like tour DVD as well when they're like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> they're playing in places like Miami and stuff before like anybody like knew what, like what dance music even was, you know, like <laughs> they were like the first people to go there and do all of that. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a wild fest. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it's been eye opening and inspiring and, uh, I'm, I'm definitely inspired to go and do more of these now and, um, crack open the minds of the people that are doing cool stuff in the, uh, in the music scene and seeing what makes them tick. Yeah. Awesome, so, dude. Thanks, thanks for having me for sure. Yeah. No worries, man. Um, where, where can people check you out online? What's the, what's the best place? Um, yeah, well, soundcloud.com slash loopshabble um, is the easiest, quickest place. And then there's obviously, I've got a Spotify page. I've got my Facebook page, which is Luke Sharble Music. Um, yeah, there's a couple of unreleased remixes on loopshabble.net, um, which is L U K E C H A B L E.net, um, which it, that's a Dead Mouse remix and the Eric Prids remix. Yeah, that's about it, really. Awesome, man. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty much it. I don't know how to end this. <laughs> how, how do you end a talk no worries, podcast? Dude. Like, who even knows? <laughs> cool, man. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you real soon. No worries, dude. Thanks for that. Thanks. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye. This episode of Studio Talk is proudly brought to you by my super shiny, awesome new online mixing and mastering service. Basically, I started doing this uh, after moving into a new studio space here in Berlin where I finally had the level of acoustic awesomeness in my workspace that I wanted. And uh, I'd always had a bit of an obsession with mixing and mastering as a result of doing the JTech Music podcast for the last eight years. Uh, so often I've had to sort of put eight or nine or ten up and coming producers tracks side by side and occasionally give them a little bit of a bit of polish on the mastering front here in the studio before uh, before sending it out for public broadcast and what it gave me was the ability to sort of be able to just very quickly look at uh, a track from an electronic from a progressive house producer or an electronic producer and, and to be able to see pretty clearly what what the track could use and to give it a bit of a boost or to, to get the balance of things right not usually a case of, of applying some fancy tricks or giving it some mega bass boost or something like that. Usually it's more so a matter of, of working out where the mistakes are and, and correcting them much like somebody would proofread a document. Um, so it's been going really well. Everyone who I've been working with has been really happy so far and it's just been great fun. If you'd like more information on this, you can check it out over at mix.jtechmusic.com. The service itself is hosted by Soundbetter. That link is actually just a a simple little link that I set up on my domain to link you through to the Soundbetter page. So go check it out, have a listen to the samples and read the reviews, and uh, by all means, get in touch. Please note, however, that I will be on tour in the USA for the next three weekends, and so won't be doing any further mix work until June 20th or so. Uh, Speaking of the USA tour, I'm playing Friday 3rd of June in New York, After that, it's Chicago, Philadelphia, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. So for full tour dates, please check out my website, jtechmusic.com. 
To finish things off, here's a little preview of some of the tracks that have been mixed in the studio this month. Thanks for listening.